Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Elhamdülillahi Rabbil alemin. Ve salatu ve selamu ala şerefil enbiyayi vel mursalin Muhammedur Resulullah sallallahu aleyhi ve aleyhi ve sellem. Tasliman kathiran kathira. Ama vadu, my brothers and sisters, this is a message especially for those who are going for hajj. And uh, I would like you to, those, you, those of the hujjaj, I would like you to reflect on this message. And those who, have, who are not going for Hajj, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant you and us all the opportunity to make Hajj. But I want you to reflect on this in the context of the value of this dunya compared to the Akhirah. Let me give you some, uh, some data as we speak. I want to talk to you about four dynasties. The first one is the Mughal Empire. Uh, which started started in 1526 and ended in 1857. That's over 300 years. Now, there are six of the rulers who are called the major rulers, who were the great kings, the great Mughals. Started with Babur, his son Humayun, his son Akbar, and then Jahangir, Shah Jaha, and Aurangzeb. Uh, but totally there were 21 Mughal emperors who ruled India for more than three centuries. The wealth of this empire was legendary. And uh, in the time of Shah Jahan, and Shah Jahan is the one who built the Taj Mahal, the, the Mughal Empire, they say India, which India effectively meant the Mughal Empire because there was nothing else. Uh, India accounted, or the Mughal Empire accounted for 25% of global GDP, 25% of the wealth of the world was in India, in Shah Jahan's hand. Second uh, great empire that I want to talk to you about is um, one which started uh, before the Mughal Empire, almost 300 years before the Mughal Empire, uh, or 200 something years before the Mughal Empire and lasted Uh, after them, for almost a hundred years after. And that is the Osmani, uh, Sultan of Osmania, which is the Ottoman Empire in Turkey. And that is started from 1299 to 1922. This empire had a total of 36 sultans. And uh, the the extent of this empire was, this was the largest empire of its kind, it was the most dominant, the strongest state in all of North Africa, Europe and the Middle East. Uh, they owned, uh, when I say owned, I don't mean in a, in a personal sense, but uh, they were in their possession and as part of their empire was the Hejaz. So the Haramayn Sharifain were the possession of the Ottoman rulers. And they did a lot for them, for the Harman Sharifain in terms of building the, the mosque and so on and so forth. So this empire, uh, they had, the Ottoman Empire had eventually uh, 36 sultans. The Mughal Empire had 21, the Ottoman Empire had 36 sultans. Then we have the Safavid dynasty. These three, the Mughal, the Ottoman, and Safavid are also called the they are also called the uh, the gunpowder 
dynasties because they were experts in in building cannons and in the use of gunpowder so they had the, they were the first uh, people after medieval times to um, actually use uh, artillery in warfare and they they had some phenomenal gunners uh, and and phenomenal they they also had um, muskets and then they had uh, cannons uh, these three safavid uh, ottoman and mogol Now the Safavid dynasty, which were basically Shia out of uh, Iran, uh, their their dynasty was from 1501 to 1736, so around 200 years, 1501 to 1736, and they had a total of 11 sultans. So we are looking at 21 sultans of the Mughal Empire, 36 sultans of the Ottoman Empire, and uh, the Safavid sultans of 11. Finally, because I am from Hyderabad, I can't uh, ignore my own uh, legacy and my own uh, uh, people, and uh, so I want to talk to you about the Asafjahi dynasty. They called the Nizams of Hyderabad, and they lasted from 1720 to 1948. Um, again, 200 plus years, about 250 years. So 1720 to 1948. total of seven nizams or seven sultans so totally we are looking at 21 uh, emperors of the mughal empire 36 sultans of the ottoman empire 11 sultans of the safavid uh, dynasty and seven uh, nizams of hyderabad now why am i telling you this whole story i am telling you this whole story for one reason and that is that not a single one of these kings not even one did hajj obviously hajj was fard on all of them but not one single of them did hajj so those of you who are going for hajj think about that that allah subhanahu wa ta'ala invited you and allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave you the tawfiq and he opened the doors for you to do something with which all of these kings with phenomenal wealth absolutely unbelievable wealth and more than wealth they had the power the ottomans literally owned the place and the others could have gone if they wanted to go not one single one of them went for hajj the only ottoman royal who went for hajj was one of the two sons there was bayazid and there was jem jem the younger son of mehmed the second who was the con- the conqueror of constantinople uh, who named it istanbul uh, jem went for hajj and he went for hajj really because he was running from his brother who was trying to kill him and uh, he uh, went to the mamluks in um, egypt and uh, from there he went for hajj and he went back to the mamluks and then he went and took refuge with the with the uh, pope um, and uh, in 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 the vatican and a uh, long story so anyway that's that's uh, not part of our part of our part of our my part of my agenda here but think about this all of these kings and as i told you each one of them uh, was fabulously wealthy their wealth cannot even be cannot even be imagined uh, one of the historians has written that when jahangir came to the throne after his father akbar passed away 
the treasurer in uh, the treasure house uh, keeper in uh, agra came to him and he said to him uh, they used to call them they had this title jahapana zille ilahi shadow of god on earth jahapana is refuge of the world so he said to him yeah, refuge of the world he said you know jahapana let me show you your treasure right you are the king so you should know so he took him into the uh, into the uh, underground chambers of agra fort where treasure was stored and jahangir saw sacks right now uh, a gunny sack is about uh, maybe it's about 12 inches across or 18 inches across um wide and it's about uh, maybe 24 inches or maybe 30 inches tall um he saw gunny sacks filled with rubies emeralds and sapphires graded by size and color right you're not talking here about uh, sitting in a jeweler shop uh, looking at uh, you know one gem or a couple of gems in a certain ring we're talking here about jewelry uh, not even jewelry because this is not jewelry this is just gems um we're talking about gems uh, which are stored as you would store grain you know rice or wheat or something so they were stored in sacks and um, these sacks were graded uh, by color and by um, size now imagine the kind of prosperity of the country at the time which was able to yield this kind of this kind of uh, revenue so jagir was obviously he was astonished and he said he said to the to the treasurer he said this is all i have he said, so he said you know i don't know if he said subhanallah or not but i keep saying subhanallah um he said this is amazing you know i have all this the treasurer laughed and he said japana he said refuge of the world uh, please forgive me for saying that this is only one of your treasuries he said we have bigger than this in delhi and we have bigger than this in lahore because the mogal empire extended all the way into afghanistan so it was you know the whole of bangladesh the whole of india the whole of pakistan the whole of uh, or or parts of uh, of uh, afghanistan uh, so he said there is plenty more this is only one one of the treasure houses i'm showing you there is plenty more i think about that here is a uh, treasure like this here is you know and this is only one king i'm talking about the the, the, the ottomans had more Uh, in many ways because these are far bigger uh, areas and and far bigger uh, you know kingdoms all the power all the wealth they had did not enable them to go for hajj even once in their whole lives and not one person the entire dynasty 36 generations of ottomans not one went for hajj 21 generations of the moguls not one not one went for hajj now the point i'm uh, seven generations of nizams not one single one went for hajj the point i want to make is so that you appreciate what allah has given you and please understand this allah subhanahu wa taala is al-adil when allah made hajj fard it is fard on everybody allah when i said allah invites you it doesn't mean allah invites you and leaves out somebody else no invitation is open for all of the muslims of the world all the ummah of muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam invitation is open for everybody allah subhanahu wa taala when he gives tawfiq those who accept it those who go these are the ones who are blessed by allah subhanahu wa taala 
and Allah has opened doors for you. Now go there and make a lot of dua because the Ummah of Muhammad Sallallahu needs your dua. And consider yourself, recognize yourself for what you are. You are the representatives of the Ummah who have been sent to the house of Allah to beg Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala on our behalf. You are our representatives. You are the ambassadors of the Ummah of Muhammad Sallallahu And all of the Ummah of Muhammad Sallallahu wherever they are, Wherever they are suffering, whatever they are suffering from, they need you. They need you to make dua for them. Don't, don't forget that. You are not just going there for Hajj. You are not just going there to, to make dua for yourself and your family. You are going there as representatives. You are the, you are the Allah. You are the guests of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And, there is, and it is the custom that when the guest asks for something, the host is duty bound to give it. The host cannot refuse the guest. It is against the laws of hospitality for the host to refuse the guest. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, there is no host who is more generous than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I want to end with a, one of the famous stories in Arabic literature about this man. It's a true story about a man called Hatim al-Tai. He was, from, he was the head of the tribe of Tai. His son, Adi bin Hatim, accepted Islam radiallahu now, uh, Hatim al-Tai passed away before Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam came uh, and announced Islam. The story of Hatim al-Tai was that Hatim al-Tai was, was famous because he also had one of the greatest Arabian stallions of the time. He, was, he had a phenomenal, very, very uh, high-bred and beautiful horse. And uh, so he was famous all over Arabia for this. And he was also famous uh, for being a very generous person. So even to this day, I remember this story which I'm telling you. My mother told me this story when I must have been five or six years old. And she was explaining to me and telling, showing me the importance of generosity. So, Hatimattai's story is, uh, one day a man came to see him. So, he came, traveler from a long distance. And as is our custom, when somebody comes as a traveler, as a guest, you invite them, you invite them home, and uh, you give them water to drink, and then you make them comfortable, you feed them. You know, they stay in your house and so on and so forth. Uh, and it is considered impolite to ask, why did you come? This is like a rude question. You know, we, we take it as, Alhamdulillah, my friend has come or a stranger has come. This brother of mine has come uh, from wherever he has come to me. And he is honoring me by his presence. Uh, I don't ask him, why did you come? Uh, obviously, I do not ask him, uh, when will you go? You know, how long will you stay? So, Hatvatai, man came. And uh, Hatimatai, of course, being himself, he was very generous and so on. He fed him and one day passed, two days passed. And as you know, in Islam, and it was also in the old Arab custom, it was, it was the understood thing that a guest could stay with you for three days and you didn't ask any questions. After three days, it was up to the guest, uh, you know, he had to, if he said whatever he wanted to say. So a day passed, two days passed. On the third day, this uh, guest of Hatimatai, he said to him, my brother, you have been so kind, so generous to me, and subhanAllah, all the stories that we hear about you and your generosity, all these stories are true. Uh, let me tell you why I came to you. Hatimatai said, tell me, please, let me, let, tell me, I mean, I, I, I'm here, I, I'm your servant, whatever you want, just ask me and I'll give you. He said, I want to buy your horse, that stallion which you have, which is so famous all over, the, all over Arabia, I have come to buy this horse, and I want you to sell the horse to me. Hatimattai's face suddenly fell and he had tears in his eyes. And this man said, SubhanAllah, what have I done? He said, I'm sorry, I apologize to you and, uh, you know, did I do anything wrong? 
uh, did I hurt you or uh, all I all I did is I asked you if you will sell me your horse. Hatimata, I said, no, you have not done anything wrong. I, my tears in my eyes are not for that reason. He said, the tears in my eyes are because I wish you had told me this the minute you met me the day you came. Right? When I said salam to you, this is what you should have told me. If you had told me this, then I would have been delighted. I would have been very, very happy to... I would have gifted you my horse. You came all this way for this. I wouldn't even have sold it. I would have given it to you. Uh, with my, with my, with my, uh, very gladly I would have given it to you. But unfortunately, you did not tell me. And he said, we are going through a very difficult time. Uh, there is no food here. And so when you came, I slaughtered that horse. And he said, that is what you have been eating. This is what we have been eating for the last three days. So he said, I'm extremely sorry, the horse is not there anymore, it's dead. Now the reason I'm saying this is because, this is the generosity of an ordinary Arab man, ordinary human being, to his guest. Imagine the generosity of Rabbul Alameen to you. Allah is above any examples. Imagine the generosity that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is capable of. Obviously you can't imagine it, I can't imagine it, but to the extent we can think about it. What I'm saying to you is, make the most of that generosity. Spend your time only and only in the dhikr of Allah. Don't waste your time in talking about anything. Do not waste your time in arguments. Do not waste your time in talking about politics and this and that and the other. Spend your time in the dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Send lots and lots and lots of salat and salam on Rasulullah And beg Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for this ummah. Beg Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for this ummah. Subhanallah, we are in serious, serious, serious trouble. In so many countries... I'm not even beginning, I'm not even going to start listing the, the, the places because it's such a long list. And every one of us, we all know the names. We all know the names of the countries. We all know what is going on there. So you don't need me to tell you that. My request to my brothers and sisters who are going on Hajj, make lots and lots and lots of dua because you are the guests of Allah and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala honors His guests. Allah invited you and as I mentioned to you, there are people in this world for centuries, were great rulers, powerful, militaries, wealth, gold, jewelry, you name it. But they were not invited to the house of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They were invited as in Hajj was fast on them, but they did not take the advantage of the invitation. They did not go. Alhamdulillah, Allah gave you the tawfiq and you are going. May Allah bless your journey. May Allah take you safely there. May Allah keep you safely there. May Allah keep you comfortably there. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala ensure that you complete all the rituals and all the um, the arkan of hajj with great suhulat, with great ease and with great in safety and with the rida of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala jalla jalla May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala load you with his blessings. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forgive your sins and may you return as innocent and clean as the day you were born. And may you return with the treasures of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in your hands to give to the world. So ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for them and do not come back empty-handed. Make a niyyah to make a certain dua and ask Allah to give you and inshallah Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will give you. Do not return empty-handed because if you return empty-handed, it's because you didn't want to, you did not want to take what Allah is there to give. Because the treasures of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala are open and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves for people to come and take them. So go and take them. 
وصلى الله على نبي الكريم وعلى اله وصحبه اجمعين برحمتك يا رب العالمين